0: Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world in every episode. Today's guest is Myra Hidalgo Salazar, a longtime activist who helps lead one of the most important and influential civil rights organizations in the country, the LGBTQ Task Force. We'll talk about building the next generation of activists and the upcoming Creating Change Conference. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessigarciashow.com. As our nation recovers from COVID-19, which has claimed more than one million American lives, and households struggle to keep up with inflation, red state governments have instead decided to focus their energy on fighting cultural wars. That's right. The same old playbook, targeting gays, which make up less than 10% of the population, is being used to distract Americans from economic and health issues far too complex for right-wing politicians to tackle. Instead, these extremists are targeting marginalized communities that can easily get them airtime on partisan talk shows, rally supporters, and a nice jolt to their campaign war chest. In Florida, for example, schools are collecting menstruation information from school athletes to ensure trans students are excluded from programming. In Arkansas, a proposed state law would classify drag performances as adult-oriented businesses to limit where they can take place. In Texas, a law is being considered that would ban doctors from providing gender-affirming care for minors. In Kentucky, a school bathroom bill currently in committee would allow families to sue if their child encounters a trans student while using the restroom. All these hate mongering bills are taking up a lot of time and space to avoid addressing the real problems like access to health care, criminal justice reform, institutional racism, access to abortion, comprehensive immigration reform, poverty, and hunger. You know, Problems that are too big to ignore, but are too challenging for state and local officials with limited knowledge or trust in science, history, and education. That's why activists are needed at the local level, activists in all shapes and sizes, big and small, near or far, to come out, lean in, and get involved. Today's guest on the podcast will give you a roadmap on how to start. Mara Hidalgo Salazar is the Deputy Executive Director of the National LGBTQ Task Force. Originally from Costa Rica, Myra's 13-year journey as a queer and formerly undocumented woman laid the groundwork for her commitment to organizing, spearheaded by queer immigrant youth of color. So, listen closely, take good notes, and get ready to join the movement. I wanna to welcome to the show my very good friend, Myra Hidalgo Salazar, a longtime activist who now helps oversee one of the most beloved organizations in the queer movement, the National LGBTQ Task Force. Welcome, Mayra.
1: Thank you so much, Jesse, for having me.
0: Thank you. Before we get to talking about creating change and the work of the task force, tell our, our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, hi everybody. My name is Mayra Hidalgo Salazar. I use pronouns like she and ella and I serve as the Deputy Executive Director at the National LGBTQ Task Force, uh, which is a really fancy way of saying that I love all LGBTQ people um, and all of our complexities. Uh, A little bit about me and how I arrived to this work. Um, I was um, I first got involved in um, organizing through the Immigrant Rights Movement. Um, I was 17 years old. Um, I was undocumented, and I was really afraid, and I had... Amazing queer woman of color really see me, invest in me, um, and and believe in me. Right at a at a moment where I felt so disempowered um, and fearful. And so you know I was I was part of the first generation of undocumented and LGBTQ um, immigrants to openly share our our stories. Right um, and yes. unapologetic, unapologetically talk about not just my um, immigration status but my sexual orientation. Um, at a time when USCIS didn't even recognize um, marriage equality, right? Um, exactly. So I'm, I'm really proud to have come out of that movement and I'm really excited to be here today in this role of the task force and to continue uh, causing some good trouble.
0: <laughs> like you have mentioned, you're a veteran in the social justice scene, working on immigrant, immigrant rights since your youth. Um, what attracted you to the task force? When this opportunity became available.
1: Yes. So previous to the task force, I was at United We Dream, United We Dream Action, United We Dream Action PAC. Great and I,
0: organizations, amazing organizations.
1: I'm I'm really proud to be um, counted as one of the co-founders of United We Dream Action. Um, and I was previously in my role as development director, right? Um, really working hard to fundraise. Um, in 2019, 2020, um, to save DACA, to defend DACA, to get Trump out of office, uh, to make sure that um, undocumented youth um, were making our political power and voices heard. Uh, so one of one of the key things that really drew me to the task force um, was, you know, the the role the task force has played in the LGBTQ landscape as being a leading intersectional voice, right? Um, Yes. As someone who, who, you know, I, I was organizing at the intersections without really understanding what intersectionality meant as a teen, right? Um, which yeah. is a term coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, I was, I was 17 and I was just really um, unflinching about how I talked about my, my sexuality. And I think you know, I, I'm very lucky to be um, a Latina who comes from a really supportive home. Both my parents um, love and support me. So I know that played a big role. And I've been out in every sense of the word since I was a teen. So when I was going around and organizing and sharing my story as an undocumented uh, woman, and undocumented Latina, I encountered... Um, a lot of people who didn't want me to talk about being a queer lesbian, who would even ask me and pull me aside, like, you know, this is, you know, uh, this is a, this is a group of church people and it's best you don't talk about that. And I think from that experience of being so unflinching, I was, um, unintentionally creating, um, brave spaces for other undocumented youth who would come to me and be like oh my god I'm I'm also queer I also feel this way um but I'm I'm too scared to come out either because my family doesn't support me or because honestly one of the quickest pathways right now to citizenship is me getting married um to someone of the opposite sex so you know and 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 so I, I share this all to say that um being at the task force in this iteration of the organization is really meaningful for me because I feel like it's really uh I'm arriving at a place where I get to embody all of those experiences, right? Um it, as, as um the organization that has been at the intersectional leading edge of, of queer work. And then another piece that I think really drew me to the task force was just our legacy as a mass training organization, um, as an organization that organizes trains across generations, I'm really proud to work for an organization that has a staff of um, queer folks who span across four generations, you know, where else am I going to go um, in in, uh, in our national progressive movement and meet like a faith director who's retiring from um, our work, a, a trans woman who's retiring from our work as faith director at 78. Years. You know, like it's it's Amazing. wisdom. Um, it's the it's the opportunity to be in community with people who have so much wisdom. The opportunity to be able to pass down um, my own nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> I can humbly exactly. say, you know, here is a thirty-one-year-old um, to future generations that that really drew me here.
0: Yeah, hearing about how you were, you know, on the ground, talking your sharing your journey, telling your truth. Reminds me when I did my advocacy in Texas, when I had to talk about LGB- LGBTQ rights to the Latino community and mm-hmm. vice versa, talking to LGBT- LGBTQ folks about Latino issues and the uncomfortableness and, mm-hmm. and, and the the why should we pay attention to that community when we're suffering ourselves mm-hmm. and being able to navigate that and say, hey, we're all on the same boat, we all, face the same issues we're being attacked by the same source of right-wing extremism and being able to comfortably navigate that as your true self it's mm-hmm. a lot and creating that brave space that you just mentioned amazing amazing that you did that we were basically doing intersectionality before it was even coined <laughs> you know made popular and I my hats off for you for being able to take that road and 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 being able to deliver and now you're at the task force which is one of the biggest lgbtq organizations with some of the biggest campaigns you know that you're working on but i love that you're not concentrating on just solely lgbtq specific issues when i go to your website you're talking about women's reproductive protections voter access immigration rights anti-gun violence violence Um, Economic justice, how do you connect these issues to the community, you know, Mm -hmm. and say, you know, we have a struggle ourselves, there's a lot of state bills coming up that are targeting our community, but we also have to have a space to concentrate on these other issues.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this this is part of my excitement of being here, right? I get to follow the leadership um, of a bold, openly bisexual um, Black woman, first ever at the helm of the task force, um, whose vision is to make LGBTQ people visible where we are invisibilized. You know, Kira and I are really committed to building the political power of LGBTQ people in this country. And, you know, what continues to be... um, most i think what continues to be critical for the fight for lgbtq issues is that we're understanding what it means to build power at the intersections right um I think um, the task force's work on queering repro, right? Has has had um, a ripple effect across the reproductive justice movement and also the queer movement where we're also understanding abortion access as not something that only women um, need, but also non-binary people, trans people and what it means in the framework of reproductive justice, right? Ultimately, um, these attacks um, uh, against abortion are about power right? It's about yes. controlling who um, and with whom and when people build families. That is a fight that people across the LGBTQ um, spectrum understand. We have been, um, we have a legacy of not only intentionally building our own families, right? In terms of having kids, um, finding finding ways to to adopt or have children. And we're also like, building chosen family, that is part of the fabric of our um, history, of our survival as queer people in this country. So I think really connecting those dots um, and then also connecting the dots even on like the criminality front, right? LGBTQ people continue to be subject to the arguments around criminality that we're somehow more criminal, that we're somehow um, devious, right? and this is like an argument that has been used against us not and it it continues to be leveraged against us it continues to target um some of the most vulnerable um people in in our community and that is trans youth right so as we as we really think about um the the patchwork of protections that exists around abortion access right and and all of um these like statewide bans that have been triggered or even protect abortion protections that have been triggered since the gutting of Roe v. Wade last year. We're seeing the convergence of that with the patchwork of protections around federal non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people. And the task force is clear that this is a huge power building opportunity for us. Um, connecting those dots for people who are living at the intersections um, most marginalized is going to be critical in order for us to really build a united front um, that is, um, as formidable as like the ultra right front, right? you you see exactly. the way the far right has, um, has built almost this impenetrable like front around their issues. The progressive movement needs to be doing that. And I think the start is making sure that we understand how LGBTQ people are impacted across our social justice issues.
0: And we can learn from the reproductive uh, rights uh, world how Mm -hmm. successful they've been because in the last election, federal election, there was like six Mm -hmm. uh, laws, state laws that were being voted on. And the pro-choice side won on all Fronts and even in some some red states, mm-hmm. so they're doing something right, and it's good to learn from them, Absolutely. link with them, and support them, and see how we can transfer that um, transfer that 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 winning power to our side to our issues. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking about that, the last election, uh, it gave us a divided federal government. How is the task force starting to navigate those waters on LGBT equality? going forward, knowing that we don't have the House anymore and we still have a very tight Senate to work with. How are you all managing going forward?
1: So listen, I think um, I'm really glad you mentioned this piece around the wave of anti-LGBTQ legislation that has been popping up all over the country. We're facing the largest wave of anti-LGBTQ legislation that people have really um, framed as a statewide fight, and it is happening in such a wave and such a pattern that this is also now a national issue. Right, So there's a lot of ways in which I think the task force has opportunities um, to continue to push um, for federal non-discrimination protections, um, tax, Task Force Action Fund, continue to push for Equality Act, and use this as a moral crisis, right? and also be honest with our bases. Look, there's fights we fight to win, and there's fights we fight to make a point. And you know what would make a point? Getting all of these Congress people on record where they stand with the Equality Act, so we can then deliver consequences right? This is part of how we exercise our political power as one of the largest and fast, sorry, one of the fastest growing um, voting blocks in this country.
0: So start identifying those that are with us and start working against those who aren't by letting them take that vote, that important vote Mm -hmm. on these important bills issues. Uh, What are the most effective ways local people can create change to protect LGBTQ rights cuz we're all talking high level you know mm-hmm. federal stuff but you have communities that have city councils that are thinking of banning drag queens that are trying to pull kids out of sports mm-hmm. um just a little petty you know we have we literally are trying to get our families to recover from COVID-19. We have all these things that are kind of like putting a lot of pressure on the American mm-hmm. um, family and individuals and communities. But we have these local folks that are just trying to make us the boogeyman at their local elections, local level, trying to paint us in a in an unflattering light, trying to make us into a criminal <laughs> by just our presence. Um, How can they best organize at the local level?
1: So I would say, you know, first off, these local elections are really what impact day to day life for people in this country. So do not underestimate the power a school board, a city council, mayoral, sheriff, attorney general has um, when it comes to the civil rights of LGBTQ people in this country and also the civil rights of people you love. Right. I, I would start there. And something I will also share is just, you know, it's it's so easy to be overwhelmed mm-hmm. by the, swaths yes. of the by the swaths of like, I don't know how many lists I'm signed up on the texting action list or like <laughs> it's so easy to get overwhelmed. And what I would invite everyone listening here to do is find something you can do well and do it consistently. Right, A lot of us get sometimes caught up in this idea of organizing that it's showing up to the march and you have to turn out 50 people or nothing. And there is a whole wide range of opportunities for us to get engaged right now. If your engagement looks like having a courageous conversation and committing yourself to having a courageous conversation um, with people in your family that are on the fence about LGBTQ issues this many times this year, I want you to do that, right? And it's I, I want you to think about, and this is a call to action that could work for everybody, right? This exactly. the, these day-to-day dinner table conversations are what drive narrative and cultural change, or part of what drives narrative and cultural change in our country, in addition to like the media representation we get. Um, so that's one way. Um, find a local organization um that you want to get involved in and find that consistent thing you can do, right? Some people are stellar base builders and are built for just turning out people and bringing people closer into organizing. If that is your jam, keep doing that. But if you know what, maybe making food for the community meeting that's happening once a month is what's doable for you, do it. Donating, right? There's, There's a whole host of things we can be doing right now. And what I don't want people to do is be paralyzed by the overwhelm of this moment. There is something concrete you can do that you can incorporate in your daily life that will make an impact um, in terms of, of building the collective power.
0: And those are beautiful examples of how, like you said, don't get paralyzed, act on it, reach out, connect with others, and, and, and form this coalition to make things happen in your neighborhood. And I highly, highly recommend that if you're able to attend a Creating Change Conference, which brings me to my next question. Okay. Uh, can you give us a preview of the Creating Change Conference that you're putting on in February? what what are folks going to expect i attended uh, my very first one 10 15 <laughs> years ago when i lived at the time at, in dallas texas and i was overwhelmed by the so many choices of ways of being an activist and how to be an effective activist it was just beautiful to see all these people from all different types of the of uh, uh, of the community get together and be able to get to so like a blueprint of what to expect once you're ready to make that leap into becoming an activist.
1: Mm -hmm. So, I mean, creating change. We are coming together in San Francisco uh, this February. I am excited. I'm a little scared, (laughs) (laughs) but more excited um, that we're going to be coming together and we are um, starting our 50th anniversary as well.
0: Congratulations. Congratulations.
1: I know 50 is still young, Jesse, 50. Yes. Yes. I
0: just hit that milestone. So (laughs) um,
1: 50 and flirty, you know? And so I think um, I'm really excited um, that we're going to be bringing over 3,000 LGBTQ people and allies together to attend workshops, attend our panels, attend our parties, our events, big names and big things to look forward to. Angelica Ross. and Delon Burnside, um, actors from Pose um, will be participating in, in a part of our state of this movement state of the movement this year with our executive director, Kira Johnson. Um, we're gonna continue to have our agents of change ball. Um, and if you've never been to a ball, I God, you it's it's a life-changing event, right? Especially for for LGBTQ people of color. Um, So there's gonna be a whole host over a hundred workshops for folks to choose from covering everything from like health to justice um, to LGBTQ, sex education, like there is a whole host of excitement um, about what we got going on at the task force and, and creating change. And I think if I were to share the biggest takeaway, right, around like what happens at Creating Change is we build this container that's about building our ideal LGBTQ utopia, right? And, you know, we make mistakes because we're human beings. And like the next year, it's always about trying to do better um, and be as inclusive as possible. And so a lot of folks come from all over the country and they get connect. They get to connect with people um, in other states that they wouldn't be able to connect with otherwise. They build community, they get down. Um, and I'm just, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, and if you have not booked your hotel, You got to get on it. I'm not going to That is the overfill hotel is filling up fast. So please uh, join us. um, And I'll see you in San Francisco.
0: Creatingchange.org. Learn more about the event. One thing I like about the event is that you have older um, activists there, the veterans in the movement that get to share their stories. I'm really big about storytelling. This is Mm -hmm. why I have this podcast because I want people to share their stories. So people who are young queer, brown people that are listening are able to see how it does get better and how you can become part of community and that you're loved and accepted and you're just fine the way you are. So when I see these folks at Creating Change, I've been to two of them, it's just beautiful to hear how it was and how they worked to make it better. And I thank you for providing those platforms to the old folks in the movement.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many um, nuggets of wisdom we get from the, um, I mean, some of them take issue with calling them elders. I'll call them veterans yeah. um, <laughs> in our movement. And in many ways, even within my own organization and some of the fem in my life, there's a very matter of fact way um, where people of a certain generation talk about um, their experiences around discrimination and like I, I do know that's probably why they're still here. That's probably why they've survived and now they're thriving. But like, um, in this moment where young people, young trans people are being targeted across the country, we need to hear and we need to tell those stories. I need to hear that story. Yes, we do. Right? Right. That is going to be part of it's a key part of seeding hope. It's a key part of sharing lessons um, and building community together. Uh, so I'm I'm really excited.
0: And folks, there's always a Latinx track that's also included in the creating change, correct?
1: Yes, we have a Latinx institute. Um, All led by um, queer Latinx folks, uh, really excited. Um, And these, the institutes, the day long institutes are all um, self produced, right? Like we have a crew of people who consistently come together every year um, to put together these institutes um, and invite people of those identities um, to join. And some of them are open to people of other identities as well, um, depending on the institute. Um, Another thing to note about uh, creating changes: it's going to continue to, drive our practices around accessibility and language access and language justice, so we will have simultaneous um, English, Spanish, ASL, SSL interpretation throughout the entire conference. Um, And so, you know, people of all um, language abilities can join us.
0: So how can we learn more about the task force and creating change?
1: So, um, creating change, definitely go to, to our website, right? Creatingchange.org, And you can, you can find more information about creating change, the task force, follow us, right? Um, Twitter, Instagram, it's all the same handle at the task force. Um, and there's, that's a great way to find out about, um, events we're doing, uh, work we're doing on the ground. Um, and then, um, I think other places people could get involved is to stay tuned. You know, if even if you can't come to San Francisco, um, the task force will still be driving our Creating Change 365 programming, which is basically our virtual year round training workshops, panels, events year round that folks can tune into from their living room. So please, you know, join us. Uh, There's so many places you can get involved. and uh learn a little bit more about what you can do to support the civil rights of lgbtq people
0: so i just want to say thank you so much myra for coming on the show today i know you're very busy very busy person but i just wish you the best and i hope you have a great conference
1: thank you so much jesse and always grateful for your time um for uh being in community with you um, and i hope i get to see you soon
0: Likewise. Thank you, Myra.